We both know Thor. He's provided pro bono counsel to free speech union victims of cancel culture since the FSU launched. And he would love to connect with fellow London calling listeners for encouragement, laughs and community. Connect with Thor on linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt or via his substack at thorholt.substack.com. When Thor isn't supporting FSU members in the eye of a cancellation storm, he helps others in a tight spot. For example, an SME facing 20% redundancies worked with Thor and within four months landed £20.4 million worth of new contracts, avoided redundancies and secured a 10-year project pipeline. Thor is a trusted executive coach and advisor for those looking to bring in investment or even exit their businesses. And he has a strong track record of transforming professionals in multiple sectors into confident, strategic, deal-winning presenters. Thor would love to hear from you, even if you don't require his services at the moment. And do please mention London Calling. You can find him on linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt or thorholt.substack.com. This is London Calling. London Calling. That fictional account was intended to make him look good, but now it can be cross-checked against the source material, his messages. Yeah. It's going to be used if, against if him. It's it, going to backfire. If this had, come out, if this had come out while I was in the jungle, he'd have been voted out in the first day. Oh, yeah. God, blimey. Welcome. To London Calling with me, James Dellingpole, and my very good friend, Mr. Toby Young. Um, Tobes, how are you doing? I'm good, James. I'm a bit hungover, um, but uh, otherwise good. Yeah, yeah I, we... it, this is this is weird seeing your face because we're doing this on 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 Zoom this time. Yes, and, uh, and why it, it, why are we doing it on Zoom, James? <laughs> well, because oh no, because I failed yesterday. Well, I tell you why I failed in a moment. But you tell me about your hangover first. What what was your hangover from? Okay, um, so um, the Free Speech Union had a dinner um, yesterday um, for Conservative MPs that we're hoping to um, assemble in a pro free speech WhatsApp group to for legislative lobbying purposes. Um, so yeah, we had a, a dinner at a club and it went on quite late and. Because there were votes, they didn't get there and sit down to eat until 8.30, and I got there at 6.30. So, I don't know, um, I had a fair amount to drink before they arrived. <laughs> you are such a toper. Um, and as you as you probably know, there's only one occasion where I really drink, and that's when I'm when I'm hunting. Of course. And, yes. and I am feeling so rotten today. I've got I've got I've got this I've got this cold. Um, which, which I think was, was not helped by this incredible day's hunting I had on Friday. Um, it was just, I mean, I've, I've had a few amazing days out hunting, but this was definitely one of the best. It was, it was hallucinogenic. Um, and there's a, there's a poem by, 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 uh, an 18th century poet called Thompson called the, the Four Seasons. And there's a line in it where he describes hunting as image of war without the danger. But but the guy clearly never been hunting because I tell you, hunting is 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 not safe at all. And the stuff we were doing that that day, we 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 I mean we we galloped for 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 four miles, which is very exciting. But what was more intense were some of the obstacles we were we were going over. And it it's it's how I imagine. I, I have no desire to go to war. I used to when I was a young man, but it's how I imagine combat is in that you find yourself 
separated from the from the body of the of the troops as it were the field as they're called we're in these little groups you get you get split up some people were trying to get through some wire and i thought i don't like the look of this wire my horse is not going i don't want to get tangled up so we i took a different road uh and, and ended up going down this incredibly steep bank onto the road and then and then through a gap in a hedge where you had to your horse had to jump onto a concrete block and 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 I ended up with the hardcore of the hunt, the, the the people who go right at the front, the 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 really crazy riders, and they said to me, "You're part of the gang now." And it was like it was like I'd, I'd passed some some invisible initiation ceremony, and then we reached this. It, it, it feels like an acid trip, even describing it now. It keeps coming back at me that there was this chasm. Ahead of us, it was it, uh, apparently it was part of something called the Braunston Brook, which is legendary in hunting circles. You have to, you, I mean, you, you, you're supposed to leap over it, but there's no way you can leap over this thing. And I looked at it and and under any normal circumstances, you go, there's absolutely no way I'm doing that on a horse. It is completely unsafe. It is just stupid. No way. And I, you turn around, but you can't. Because you're with the gang, you know, with the with the hardcore. So you've got to do this crazy thing. So the guy in front of me, who was a uh, an experienced, like he he was a, a a master of a hunt, I think, or something. He went down there, and his horse kind of fell on him, um, sort of collapsed in this in this this gully, and then. And he was I right before you, was he? Right in front of me. So, so that's you, like you think, having to go over the trenches when the guy that's just gone before you has just been shot in the head. Exactly like that. But it, but it's also um, it's also intense. You sort of just like go with it because you've got no option. So I picked what I thought would be the ideal route for my horse. And thank goodness, because he's much cleverer than me, he completely ignored me and picked his own route down this thing and and just did it perfectly. Uh, it's what you want when you're hunting a, a horse called, they're known as schoolmasters, horses that know better than you do how to survive. But yeah, I've, 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 been, I've been flying ever since. I've been having flashbacks. And the reason we're recording this via Zoom and looking at each other is because um, we recorded this podcast yesterday yeah. but um you recorded it in a different room because tiffany your wife doesn't like hearing you talking about hunting because she's very worried that you know you're going to fall off a horse and die all yeah all all spouses you often get this with hunting um that often there's one spouse that doesn't hunt maybe they don't like speed or they don't like horses or whatever and the other spouse does hunt and the non-hunting spouse worries worries themselves runs themselves sick about what happens but this but the problem is that when you get back from a hunt like that all you want to do is talk about how insane it was and of course you you can't really because the worried spouse doesn't want to listen yeah. so i was thinking it'd be a bit cruel kind of talking about it when she's in the office so i went upstairs but unfortunately my dodgy equipment upstairs went and brian said that it was unusable so and Brian is very kindly. And um, Toby, I mate, I, I, you know, people give you give you stick sometimes, but I have to respect you. You are a late night person. You've got a hangover. I, I, I get up at seven every day. Right. You, you, you get up 
at 10 because you go to bed about three or four. Yeah, no, this is um, tricky for me. I mean, I have been getting up early for the past couple of weeks because my wife has been in Barbados. Um, she went on this kind of fabulous freebie. I think I talked about it last week and left me looking after three of our children. The fourth. She owes you. University. She owes you big. I'm at the top. Well, I was anyway, James, at the top of Brownie Point Mountain, but I came home quite late yesterday drunk and I think I may have woken her up. So now I'm right back at the bottom of that mountain. You didn't, All you didn't, my credit didn't, has been used up now. You didn't beat her up or anything? Or... No, no, no. No, I woke her up. That was that was the extent of my sin. Um, yeah. But uh, your, your, your story about being welcomed to the kind of elite group of um, hunters at the very front reminds me of a slightly different story in which I went skiing uh, a few years ago. It was the last time I went skiing, actually, with um, a rich friend of mine, and he'd invited a few people, and we met up with a few people out there. It was in Austria, in Zurs. And um, uh, my friend said, who wants to go skiing with a guide? We're going off-piste. It's going to be quite challenging. There's going to be some powder, but it'll be huge fun. And I said, well, me, definitely. Put my hand up. And um, so we broke up into these two groups and the plan was to meet at lunchtime. And uh, this rather kind of um, uh, severe Austrian guide um, made us all t t do a couple of runs so he could sort of see whether we were strong enough to be to take on this uh, challenging skiing we were going to do with him. And at the end of it, everyone was, apart from me, turned to me and said, said Toby, I don't think you're strong enough for this the skiing we're going to do. You must join the Vika group. <laughs> so I was sent um, in front of all my my friends. I was I was dispatched. I was excommunicated, sent to join the weaker group, uh, which was uh, deeply humiliating. James, Team James at this point nodding their heads and saying, "Of, of course, he's in the Vika group." <laughs> but can I say that as as the head of Team James? I I have great sympathy for that. I I too would have wanted to be with the with the strong <laughs> the strong group. <laughs> but I, think, yes, I probably I too would have been rejected. But I yeah, it's the story of my life. I I think that I'm an alpha male. But um, when oh. when any any <laughs> in truth, <laughs> I ain't. Um, but when when would one have time to acquire the skill set to be a good off piece skier, to be a good horseman a good tennis player a good um you know can you sail or anything like that no i did try and learn how to sail but as you say i never really found the time to do it there I are all these things that we ought to be able to do if um yeah. if we or golf play come. golf i'd love to be able to play golf we need another life don't we we do with a, do. Uh, with a private income this time yeah yeah if i think if i could live my life all over again i would definitely spend the time to become proficient at a particular sport i mean you've got your hunting um i've got no equivalent um i'm just so busy i don't have time to and i've i've tried you know sort of um, half-heartedly to learn how to play tennis to learn how to play golf to sail and never managed to kind of devote myself to it so i don't have that kind of really fun hobby in my life oh dear. anyway yeah. we should have an ad we should definitely Ah, spring is in the air. Yes, it is. I saw my first primroses only two days ago. It's almost the end of the financial year. But did you know that the spring budget is coming on the 15th and the, some might say controversial, help to buy scheme ends on 31st of March? 
If you didn't, you need to meet Dan Gaskin, fellow skeptic, free thinker, father of six, husband of one and owner of Crest Mortgages. Dan is an ex-Royal Navy warfare officer who has driven ships, buys companies and helps people with financial conundrums because he genuinely enjoys looking after people. Nothing motivates Dan more than bringing fellow skeptics financial good cheer. Whether you're Team Toby or Team James, for help with your house move, commercial mortgage, equity release, life assurance, or simply to talk through a financial issue that is vexing you in complete confidence, call 0116-502-3000 via crestmortgages.co.uk and connect with Dan, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash mortgages and protection. We have to say this bit to be FCA compliant. Crest Mortgages is, is a trade trading style of Epiphany Investments Limited, which is an appointed representative of the Open Work Partnership, a trading style of Open Work Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Your house may be repossessed if you do not keep up with repayments on your mortgage. Okay, um, so um, I tell you about my week, James. Not nearly as exciting as yours, but I had a pretty busy week last week. I probably the highlight. Well, I'll tell you about two bits of it. Um, I won't bore you with the whole of it, but. Um, uh, last Monday, I was on Jacob Rees-Mogg's debut show on GB News. So he's got this new show from eight till nine, Monday to Thursday. And for our American listeners, Jacob Rees-Mogg is um, a conservative MP, uh, former cabinet minister, um, uh, is um, is distinctive because he wears three piece suits and um, speaks in a kind of undisguisedly posh voice, um, even refers sometimes to his nanny um, that he had as a child. And I think as become the nanny to his children anyway um he's uh, and he's very sound on lots of issues brexit and so forth um and um he's now got this show on gb news and uh it was his debut show and he'd never actually hosted i don't think um a television show before we'd done a bit of hosting on lbc and he's of course you know quite an experienced broadcaster because he's been a prominent parliamentarian for you know for a long time um but um Uh, I think everyone involved in the show was a little bit worried. Would he be able to do it? Would he kind of take to this new medium? Um, And uh, his wife came along to watch him sort of um, on his debut. And he had he had a kind of but actually he did incredibly well. It was amazingly impressive to see him. It was as though he was a veteran who'd been doing it for 25 years. He was incredibly slick, didn't put a foot wrong. At one point, he was kind of reading off the autocue and ad-libbing at the same time, which is a really difficult skill, which, you know, even some very experienced broadcasters can't do because you know, we the can't. autocue has this rolling script and um, and it roll and they kind of they, they, they kind of practice beforehand. So it rolls at exactly the speed you read. So to ad-lib whilst reading the rolling script uh, is actually really difficult. Uh, but he managed to do it incredibly well. And he had a fantastic roster of guests. He had David Davis, Lee Anderson, David Starkey ex-Labour MP called Stephen Pound and yours truly um, and it was great and and the, um, the, the but the, the the really memorable thing the truly outstanding thing is that the following day James I got a thank you text from 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 um, Jacob for appearing on his first show and I've been I've been doing TV I think since probably I think my first TV appearance was was in 1985 and in all that time, in all the hundreds, possibly thousands of television 
appearances I've made in all that time, the first time I've ever got a thank you from a presenter was from Jacob uh, the following morning. So I was really impressed by that. If and, you'd had uh, a good I'm, nanny. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for the thank you letter. But, um, that but, would be but good. the text was good enough. Well, nanny obviously obviously brought him up well. Properly. I never yeah. had one of those, so I'm, I think you know I'm, I'm rubbish at thank you letters. Yeah, I, I remember there's a, there was a, a good joke I, I once heard, which is um, why don't Sloan Rangers go in for gangbangs because they they just they can't face having to write all the thank you letters the following day. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, uh, my other highlight um, was um, the Free Speech Union uh, third anniversary. So it was our third birthday last week. We've actually been going for three years, if you can believe it. We've now got. Uh, 11,000 members, 16 employees, including eight full-time employees. We've dealt with over 2,000 cases, um, and we celebrated at the In-N-Out Club um, in St. James's. And um, I made a speech, and uh, it was a great occasion. We invited members of our advisory council, our founder members. Did you get drunk again? We'd actually helped, and he got drunk again, James, yeah. Um, but anyway, that, that, that was, it was nice to, to celebrate some of our successes. Well, 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 well done. Um, I'm, I'm not going to. Uh, the the last time I recorded this, I had a I had a go at Jacob just because I'm 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 really disappointed in him. He he, I, he was my great white hope for what I believed at the time to be conservative values, but I now think are just a kind of part of the part of the style. But it, but it, I I was glancing at Twitter yesterday, and somebody pointed out something that was pretty inexcusable one of the the many inexcusable things that jacob has done and that was he was supportive of do you remember neil o'brien that rather weird sort of fascistic conservative he's still he's still a conservative mp is he who 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 led this sort of this sort of witch hunt um group designed to spy out incorrect thinking on the disinformation as i think it was called but actually it was actually factual information which which yes. didn't suit the government narrative and he headed this group and i think did you run foul of this group i, I, I did. They, did. They, they singled out um various um traffickers in misinformation about the pandemic and yeah i was it was a, i was in very distinguished company um i think the other journalists were I think Alison Pearson and Julia Hartley Brewer, um, and uh, but it also included Carl Hennigan. He was another person smeared as a kind of misinformation trap. Yes, smeared. He's the, he's the professor of evidence-based medicine at Oxford, and um, uh, got almost everything about the pandemic exactly right. Yeah. Um, it also included Shinetra Gupta, who is the um, I think professor of theoretical epidemiology at Oxford and one of the original three signatories of the Great Barrington Declaration. And again, I think, has been retrospectively vindicated. I mean, it's extraordinary. Anyway, so yeah, this this website that Neil O'Brien and others set up to try and discredit critics of the government's pandemic response, um, uh, and it's still there. It's I think it's called COVID-19 FAQs or something. Yeah. And um, uh, Alison Pearson is so cross about it that she's thinking of standing as an independent um, in Neil O'Brien's constituency. Oh, I think she should. I think she I should. I think she should too. Yeah. And, and he was, I mean, it was, it was between government jobs. So I think he was um, before setting up this website, he was a parliamentary private secretary to um, someone or other. And then he became a minister shortly afterwards. Um, but it's, I mean, it just does seem improper for a conservative MP 
who is sort of in and out of the government, to um, set up a website to discredit critics of government policy. And we yeah. don't know how the website was funded. Maybe it wasn't funded by taxpayers' money. It probably wasn't. Um, but um, uh, disappointingly, in the lockdown files, which we'll come to in a minute, um, which is the series of stories in the Telegraph based on Matt Hancock, former health secretary's WhatsApp messages, which were handed over to the Telegraph by Isabel Oakeshott and have proved to be a huge goldmine of stories about um, uh, the incompetence and stupidity um, of of the government um, and particularly of Matt Hancock during the pandemic. Um, I was hoping that there would be something about um, you know, some, some 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 messages traded with Neil O'Brien in which they're talking about creating this website. But unfortunately, there aren't, which is disappointing. But well, in, the, in, in due course, shown. I think he, he will be held to account. Yeah. So just very briefly, because it's a kind of trivial point. But but Jacob Rees-Mogg, who you would have expected to have deplored this kind of thing, actually uh, actually uh, expressed his approval of the marvellous work that Neil O'Brien had done. Well, yeah, yeah it. You can talk the talk, but then you reveal the true your true nature. And well, I'm, I'm not afraid that he is part of the I system. Think, Jacob I is just another. He's he's not one of us, if there is such a thing anyway. I, mean, I think I think I, I think you're I think you're too much of a purist, as you know, James, when it comes to these things. And um, you have to take your allies where you find them. And you might not agree with them about everything, but um if they agree with you about certain issues and those issues are important, then you have to turn a blind eye um, if they don't agree with you about other things which you consider equally important. That's how politics work. That's how we get things done. Yeah, well, obviously, we're going to we're going to disagree more about this when we talk about t- tell us about this thing. Or we're going to yeah. have an ad that first. OK, let's have an ad. We both know Thor. He's provided pro bono counsel to free speech union victims of cancel culture since the FSU launched. And he would love to connect with fellow London calling listeners for encouragement, laughs and community. Connect with Thor on LinkedIn.com slash in slash Thor Holt or via his Substack at thorholt.substack.com. When Thor isn't supporting FSU members in the eye of a cancellation storm, he helps others in a tight spot. For example, an SME facing 20% redundancies worked with Thor and within four months landed £20.4 million worth of new contracts, avoided redundancies and secured a 10-year project pipeline. Thor is a trusted executive coach and advisor for those looking to bring in investment or even exit their businesses. And he has a strong track record of transforming professionals in multiple sectors into confident, strategic, deal-winning presenters. Thor would love to hear from you, even if you don't require his services at the moment. And do please mention London Calling. You can find him on linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt or thorholt.substack.com. Yes, well, um, when we recorded this podcast yesterday, um, we did have a fairly bad-tempered exchange no we didn't we didn't but it wasn't that bad-tempered was no, it? no it really wasn't that was, it was i was actually disappointed by how unbad-tempered it was it was very mild i thought we, it was but, quite but, heated no no we, we we just disagreed but i mean obviously as we're going to but anyway tell us tell us what the thing is first. so um so um okay so isabel oakshot um uh is a fairly well-known journalist um she's written several books she's worked for different papers 
Um, she's she, but she's uh, she's a Brexiteer. She was a lockdown, is a lockdown skeptic, and um, Matt Hancock, ex health secretary. So Matt Hancock, um, what is an was an ambitious conservative politician who ran for leader in 2019, didn't do terribly well, but became the health secretary in Boris Johnson's government um, and was the health secretary uh, for the duration of the pandemic and uh, almost the duration anyway, and had to stand down when he was caught out in a sex scandal. Um, So um, he was photographed snogging, um, uh, for our American listeners, that's making out with um, uh, his an aide of his called Gina, who was an old university friend of his dating back to their time together at Oxford. And um, he's married, was married to quite young children. So this was a bit of a scandal um, and he had to stand down. And then in an effort to rehabilitate himself, uh, some of our listeners will remember because we discussed it at the time he appeared on I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, which everyone thought was a terrible mistake because it's so humiliating and undignified. But actually, he did reasonably well after doing a number of Bush Tucker trials, better than some of the other contestants anyway. And he came, I think, third and um, and did actually succeed in sort of rehabilitating himself and is now doing another reality show. I think it's in the can for Channel 4 in which he does the SAS initiation course um and um but just as his just as he seemed to be reinventing himself as a kind of professional reality show contestant uh, and possibly you know a chat show on gb news in his future isabel um who'd been given by him uh, over a hundred thousand text messages whatsapp messages on his phone as an aid memoir when she was employed by him to ghostwrite a memoir called the, I think, the um, Pandemic Diaries, um, which was published shortly after his appearance on I'm a Celeb. Um, She has now given these WhatsApp messages to the Telegraph, and they are just a kind of Tutankhamun's tomb of embarrassing stories, not just embarrassing to Matt Hancock, but to lots of people he exchanged messages with. Um, and um, we can go on actually to talk about one of the reactions, interesting, interestingly, by rival newspapers and broadcasters like the BBC to this sensational story, which I think is the scoop of the decade. The reaction is not to what the story reveals, which is the staggering incompetence and stupidity of the government and the vanity of Matt Hancock, not to say, crikey, we got this wrong. The government, we were criticising the government at the time for not doing enough. Turns out they were doing far more than they needed to. And all of these decisions, which the government claimed were based on the science, such as the decision to extend the mask mandate in schools to classrooms, weren't based on the science, as we claimed at the time. But actually, in that case, we were just um, bounced into it by Nicola Sturgeon, who announced it. and We didn't want to have a fight with her, so we decided to do it too. And all sorts of revelations along similar lines about the decision-making process, which led to this, this grotesque interference in our liberty. And lots of messages between Matt Hancock and people like Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, cackling seemingly gleefully about the misery they were inflicting on people. At one point, um, uh, I think uh, there's an exchange between Matt Hancock and Simon Case about how um, they've um, uh, uh, people people coming off flights from 
countries which aren't in the green zone but in the amber or red zone because of the prevalence of infection in the countries they've come come from have to quarantine for 14 days in these ghastly shoebox hotel rooms and they were cackling about the fact that people would be coming off planes having sat in first class and then have to be uh, uh, forced to endure an appalling 14 days eating terrible food in these tiny rooms, often with their families. You know, often they'd, they'd flown back to kind of meet with loved ones, um, you know, who were dying and uh, or come to a wedding if they were allowed to go to a wedding. But they were they were gleefully celebrating the fact that these poor folks were having to quarantine for 14 days. It was just it's just a horrible insight into um, the kind of um, the, the the officials and senior politicians who were drunk on power as Britain descended into authoritarianism uh, for a kind of eighteen month period between what March twenty twenty and July twenty twenty one in the course of which there were three lockdowns anyway uh, it, it, I think it 's a great story and um, and the, the Telegraph have been kind of running with it on an almost on a daily basis if not an hourly basis. The Telegraph news hacks have this wonderful term to describe you probably know this James used to work for the Telegraph to describe a scoop they describe a good story as a marmalade dropper the idea being that the typical telegraph reader is eating his toast with marmalade on it reads this story in his morning paper and it's so shocking so startling that he drops his toast and it falls marmalade side down and i think you know there's just been this this there's just been one marmalade dropper after another in the telegraph as a result of this uh, trove of whatsapp messages that isabel has handed over to them mm. well James, obviously we're going to disagree on this because what you described as the scoop of the decade i i would call a a big fat nothing burger of a, a story and in, in fact i think it's wor- it's worse than that i think it's a form of disinformation it's a it's it's a massive distraction um for example there, there was a, i remember the first day that the first day's headline story was that matt hancock had disregarded the advice of the chief medical officer chris witty regarding the the need to test people going into care homes. And this was presented as a a kind of an irresponsible minister not listening to the experts. Now, I would dispute that analysis, that this this was of any significance, because actually, you know, and I know, because we've written about this a lot, the PCR tests were next to useless. I mean, certainly they would have made, had suppose Matt Hancock had tested every single person who'd gone into a care home with, you know, 10 times with a PCR test, it would have made no difference to the death stats. The real reason that so many people died in care homes was the over, over-prescription of midazolam, the death uh, the death pathway drug, which eases your, your final moments by restricting your breathing, but, but also effectively finishes you off, which was massively over-prescribed, uh, bought in quantity, under under Matt Hancock's aegis. I don't see midazolam being mentioned in, the, in these, these, these dodgy exchanges, which, which leads me to question whether we are being given the whole picture. We've also got Isabel Oakeshott, who was denied that there is any issue surrounding midazolam. She's actually, so, so she is party pre in this particular story. Let's not forget that she ghost wrote Matt, Matt, Matt Hancock's book and presumably had profited by it before then deciding on this kind of, it, it strikes me that more likely this has all been 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 prearranged to distract 
from the truth about what happened in the last three years, which is essentially that the reason that people were were forced to to have miserable times in their uh, um, in quarantine centres after their their first class flights or whatever their their flights from abroad to come and see dying relatives, the reason that you see in these emails Matt Hancock uh, conspiring with his extremely spivvy, dubious aides and with sinister pe- people like Simon Case, the head of the cabinet office, which is a very, very dodgy deep state d- manifesting of the deep state. You can, wh- why these people are talking about how to hype up the, the supposed pandemic, how to scare people more is because they knew all along that this was not a real pandemic that the people were not dying in any greater numbers than they had been in, in, a, in, a, in an average bad flu year, that, that this was a, a confection designed to force people to take this experimental mRNA therapy, these, these vaccines which hadn't been tested, which hadn't gone through their, their trial phase. That is the real scandal. The fact that people have been, been dying and injured as a result of this, this, this alleged vaccine, which wasn't a vaccine, which they were coerced into taking. And you take a step back and, and you look at why this happened and you look at the, uh, the event I keep mentioning in, in 2018, 2019, event 201, which was sponsored by the uh, Johns Hopkins, which re- received a billion dollars in funding, a billion dollars in funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It, 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 um, it planned out the, the alleged pandemic, which wasn't a pandemic. The purpose, all uh, uh, this, by the way, was co-founded by the World Economic Forum. It, 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 it uh, I, I'm getting a lot of this from a, 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 a substack by somebody called Igor, Igor Chudov, I-G-O-R-C-H-U-D-O-V. Uh, very good piece, good, which writes in language kind of, Team Toby can understand, which is why I'm, why I'm, I'm, I'm I, I sort of know this stuff, but it's nice to see it laid out clearly and un, undramatically by Igor Tudor. Is this a recent he, piece by him in response to Egypius's piece? Yes, how, yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah exactly. we ran that piece by Egypius um, in uh, the Daily Skeptic, and we've run Egypius's response to. De- uh, we, we ran it yesterday. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it's an interesting debate. So Egypius, like me, is a cock-up guy, and yeah, um, he's. I, I, I think he shit the bed on that particular because he because he had been barely sound up to that point but yeah so should have points points out that i mean you're aware of this stuff it's not like i'm telling you stuff you don't know you know about event 201 which 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 war game the pandemic which was then rolled out from 2020 onwards when um the uh patrick valance the the the, the then head of uh, chief scientist now has been given his special reward from the world health organization is now their chief scientific officer i think something like that, that they changed the definition of, of pandemic to scare people. They conducted this, this media blitz, this, this kind of military grade psyop on the British people to persuade them that, that this pandemic was more serious than it was. It terrified people out of their wits. It suppressed with the help of big tech, any story uh, written by, by skeptics questioning the, 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 the narrative. So the government and the populace were railroaded in this particular direction by this, this Bill Gates-funded, WEF-funded machine, uh, big pharma-funded machine, which steered people in a, in a particular direction. 
the MP MPs like Matt Hancock were just hapless stooges. We didn't need to be read these emails to know that Matt Hancock is a dick, that MPs are venal, incompetent, bullying, power crazed. We knew all this already. I've been saying this for ages. This, this Alison, uh, Isabel Oakshot leak reveals absolutely nothing. It distracts people from the real stories, which are Medazalam murders, coordinated, um, uh, because it wasn't just Britain, by the way, did this. It was every country in the world apart from Sweden. This coordinated campaign to lock countries down and to bully them into taking this vaccine that isn't a vaccine they didn't need and ended up killing them. That's the scandal. This is just Matt Hancock is a dick. Is is neither here nor there. We knew that already. Well, obviously, I disagree about almost everything you've just said, James. Um, but starting with your first point about how. Um, uh, why should we be in any way outraged that Matt Hancock ignored Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer's advice that patients being discharged from hospitals into care homes should be tested to make sure they're negative before being discharged? Um, the reason that's scandalous isn't because that might have actually prevented deaths in care homes, though I don't think the PCR test is wholly unreliable, so it might actually have prevented some deaths in care homes. But the reason that's scandalous, I don't think you, you need to have faith in the efficacy of, P, of the PCR test in order to be scandalised by that. It's scandalous because Matt Hancock claimed at the time, as did every other government minister, that they were following the science, that they were just following the advice of their scientific and medical advisors. That was their shield. That was their condom. That was yes, he's a liar, Tobes. And, and, and it turns out he wasn't doing that. Um, uh, and he talked about um, putting this uh, protective ring, this ring of steel around care homes. And it turns out um, it wasn't actually a ring of steel. It was uh, a rubber ring with a hole in it. Um, uh, uh, anyway, uh, Madazalan, I actually have looked into that, James. I spoke to a palliative care nurse about that. I said, um, is, is the fact that uh, Madazalan um, was prescribed used more often during the pandemic evidence that um, people, particularly people in care homes, were put on um, a kind of pathway that led eventually to death. And this drug was used because it eases the passage to death, a form of euthanasia. And um, this nurse anyway, this palliative care nurse said, no, it's actually a standard drug we use when elderly people are having breathing difficulties. We'd, we're not using it to euthanize people. It was over prescribed because pe more people than usual had breathing difficulties because of the prevalence of COVID-19. Uh, she, anyway, she didn't think that this was... And you was believe that? Of, uh, well, you, you, I, I trust, I trust that particular source. She's, she's party pre, Toby. Uh, anyway, um, uh, I think, I think, I don't think there can be any doubt about the authenticity of these WhatsApp messages. I don't think they were created as part of a cover-up to conceal the fact that there was this kind of dark conspiracy um, uh, unfolding. Uh, they certainly seem um, completely authentic, not least because they're so embarrassing for everyone concerned. I mean, if Matt Hancock was still in the cabinet, he'd have to resign um, uh, as, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, almost every story that The Telegraph publishes based on this cache of documents would be enough to force 
Matt Hancock to resign from the cabinet. He may even face criminal prosecutions as a result of some of what's been revealed. I mean, I don't know, but I think it wouldn't certainly wouldn't rule out uh, the possibility that he may face a criminal prosecution for some of the uh, malfeasance revealed um, in, in, in these WhatsApp messages. So that I don't think there can be any doubt about their authenticity. And the impression you get from reading these messages, reading the stories in The Telegraph, is that there wasn't a conspiracy, there wasn't a plan, it was just the usual political clown show. Ministers and officials trying to exploit a crisis in order to advance their careers, in order to attract favourable press coverage, in order to discredit their political enemies uh, and and it, it sort of it, it shows how you know the reason all all these ministers in different countries around the world reacted in a similar way was largely because they all saw it as an opportunity not just to indulge their kind of fantasies of power but also to advance themselves in various ways to promote themselves to um uh, to 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 um outdo their rivals in in the kind of jockeying for position and status and power within their kind of uh, so immediate they all crap kind of cabinet Hancock's environment every country. It, 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 it sort of it, it, it to oh, me it, it absolutely confirms that the whole thing was just a clown show the usual political cock up Idiots and incompetence lurching from one crisis to the next, seeing seizing on opportunities where they arose, being overwhelmed by events the next sure. moment. Same it's just it, it seems to me it confirms, absolutely confirms the cock up explanation for what happened. But not they must the have been responding to something. Explanation. I mean, you presumably accept they were responding to something. Are you, is, you, is it your case that this was a genuine pandemic and, you, and you're going to ignore event 201? You're going to ignore the role of the world? World Health Organization funded by China and Bill Gates. And you're going to ignore all the the, the evidence of, of the World Economic Forum in, in all this. And you're just going to say it's just just all these all these government ministers seizing an opportunity to see to to to, to make their mark and, and be authoritarians. And, and that's it. It's just just kind of. Yeah, I, th- I think you're you know, you're 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 seizing on all these things and um uh, you know, adding Evidence. two and two and getting five. I, I think I think that 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 for there to have been a conspiracy to explain the events of the last three years would require a degree of coordination and planning and By intelligence and foresight, which they no, it's imp- they cannot possibly have possessed. And we know what I mean, about eventually ever been if you've ever been close to power, James, if you've ever if you've ever kind of I mean, someone someone said to me who'd 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 been to Davos. They said I, I met I met this person a couple of weeks ago. They said they'd been in the room with the kind of key decision makers um at the at a World Economic Forum event ministers and ceos and billionaires from around the world discussing a particular issue and he said the staggering thing the shocking thing wasn't that they were these kind of super intelligent masterminds who were planning how to control the world for their own benefit he said the shocking thing was how unbelievably stupid and ill-informed and generally incompetent they all were he said if anyone could actually be in that room they would be they would be absolutely astonished by how stupid and idiotic all these supposedly brilliant successful people are and i completely believe that and it's a fantasy to imagine that there were these kind of diabolical masterminds dictating events like 
puppet masters behind the scenes. You're you're imagining you're attributing far too much ability to people like Klaus Schwab, who are just vainglorious idiots. I think I think I've explained pretty well, and I don't think you need to be a, a, a particularly um, insane conspiracy theorist to look to know that there is an organisation called the World Health Organisation, and to look at the details of Event Two Hundred One. I think I think the, the it, other it actually it actually happened. But look, in front of me, I just just read your medazolam. I've got this other amazing Substack by the the Daily Beagle, um, and I've got in front of me the the prescription figures for midazolam, uh, ten milligram stroke two mil, two ml solution for injection ampoules by all regional teams across the UK, and there is a massive spike uh, in. R- Around between January and July 2020, uh, where it spikes from from below 4K to well above 6K of these of these um, uh, midazolam doses, which are which are essentially that would finish you off. And coincidentally, or maybe not, the number of deaths um, of people in in uh, this is from a Office of National Statistics 17,000. 316 patients died in England uh, with dementia and Alzheimer's disease, uh, nearly three times more than expected. Now, you you can argue that that something needed to be done to to finish off um, people in, you know, no, that's not the argument. The argument is that correlation is not causation. And the reason more midazolam was um, prescribed during that period is because there were more people experiencing breathing difficulties because of the oh i see virus. you are it, you are actually buying into the narrative that that this this was that do you do you, let me ask you well i've actually believe, i've spoken to a palliative do you care believe the pandemic and, and, was real I, I do believe the pandemic was real yeah do you i do you don't do believe, believe it was, was a, a, it was a fabrication Despite no, I don't the, think it's a fabrication, no. Despite, I, I despite the data real. which demonstrates that, I don't that, think the data that it was no more, no, no worse than a, a you know, average oh, to bad I, flu. I think, I think, um, I think for, um, for large swathes of the population, it was uh, the infection fatality rate was comparable to a bad flu. But for people who were vulnerable, who had underlying medical conditions, who who were quite elderly, um, I think um, there was a genuine vulnerability. And I think the the way we should have responded to that was the response set out in the Great Barrington Declaration, focused protection. I think it was a real pandemic. There were people who were genuinely vulnerable and we should have done more to protect them. And we shouldn't have wasted enormous resources and time at great cost to people's mental health, to the economy and so forth by trying to protect everyone, including those who weren't remotely vulnerable to this particular virus. But I, I, mean, I think I think I think it was incompetence. It was cock up. It wasn't conspiracy. There was a genuine threat and it was just completely mismanaged. Just one more one more thing. You, you, you picked me up on on um, the, the, the really bad thing that, that, that my, uh, Matt Hancock did was that he ignored the science and and you, you no i'm not saying that no no okay. no 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 you're misunderstanding you said, you me said, you, sorry, he claimed said, he claimed to be following okay. the science sorry sorry turned out okay. that, that, to... that, that he wasn't whether the science whether the, I, I agree with you there was no such thing as the science science is in a constant so, so, state of so, flux and it's developing all the time and there was no overwhelming consensus about the best way to mitigate so the impact your, of this your virus. point is the trivial one that he ignored he, he ignored this this he claimed to be following this imaginary thing but he wasn't following the imaginary thing which doesn't matter anyway because you and i know it wasn't the science at all there's no such well, thing as the science yeah so i think i think, I think the, the government 
the government's the government the government's um, excuse, their protective shield, not just yeah. Matt Hancock, but but Boris Johnson too. Everyone and Gove and all of them, they all Gove, lied. They, they all claim that the reason they had to um, interfere in our liberty on an unprecedented scale um, uh, uh, to, to lock us in our homes, to prevent us seeing our loved ones, to prevent us going to weddings and funerals, to quarantine us when we return from travelling and so on and so forth. Their excuse for doing all of these things yeah. uh, was that they were following the science. Now, um, at the time, I challenged whether the science actually did dictate that response and could justify what they were doing. I'm and sure you were crushed. Too. Uh, but the, the the point is that, that it turns out we now know from these um, WhatsApp messages and other sources that they weren't following the science. But we they knew were then, making Toby, it up, making we for the most they part, were lying. making it up as we they went along. We knew then, two years ago, we knew they were lying. This well, is we, the thing. We, That's why we, I'm we, saying it's a big fact. We thought we knew burger. it, but this is documentary evidence that they were misleading us when they claimed that they were always following the science. So and that's we, why it's we, important. Not because there was such a thing as the science, which they could have followed and they didn't. No, because their excuse for this unprecedented authoritarianism was that it was just they were just faithfully doing the bidding of their scientific advisors. It turns out they weren't. But they knew that they weren't. They they, they knew that they weren't. Yes. So. So, OK. So and, and, you, and you think that. That, but they did it because it just like fed into their authoritarian instincts and, and that the, they just they just went with it. You don't think well, I think I think I think I think that? to be fair to them, James, I think um, in some cases, why would you be fair to them? They've well, just gone and they've just gone and destroyed. Because I think we have to be quite forensic. They've destroyed when jobs, charges they've killed people. They've, well, they've 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 killed children. Come on, they injected children with stuff that killed children, that children did not need to take. Well, they bullied think, them. They, I they, think, they destroyed I think, children's education. And you think we should be sympathetic towards well, these bastards? I think, I, think, I think that if we're going to um, hold them to account, we need to be very careful that the crimes we accuse them of are crimes they actually committed. We can't um inflate right. the crimes they committed because then they'll be able to prove their innocence they'll say you've accused me of these three things i'm innocent of two of them and in that way escape responsibility for the third thing which they aren't innocent of i think we have to be forensic and careful about about um about what we accuse them of and i think when it comes to the vaccines i know you think that uh you call it the death jab the clock shot whatever and you think that uh, it's absolutely transparently clear that the vaccines are harmful and so forth but i it, i i i genuinely think that 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 at the time um you know well first of all i think you're exaggerating how harmful the vaccines are i i mean you know i've always you maintained that no, but that's because I'm under 65. I don't have any underlying medical conditions. I think if I did... Would you do it for a million? I might, I might take one because I do think they do provide you with some protection if I you are you in, in a vulnerable group. But I'm not in a vulnerable group, and that's why oh, I haven't taken on, one. Tabs. But I think, Jade, but the point is people like Matt Hancock um, actually, I think, genuinely believed that the vaccines were beneficial, um, would prevent people from not. getting the disease, was our way out of the pandemic. I mean, throughout the, the kind of that period, if you look at the 
um, uh, WhatsApp messages. He wants to be associated with the vaccine. He wants to be, he calls himself Mr. Vaccine. He's kind of very jealous of everyone else taking credit for it. He's he's annoyed with, um, uh, with the head of the vaccine task force for kind of not moving faster and for being too cautious. And he, he actually um, oversaw, I think, the uh, use of vaccines which were destined for India in the UK, depriving people in the developing world of the supposed benefits of the vaccines but he he um he he clearly believed uh, that they were you know a not. miracle cure Pretend. to this disease he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't enlisted in some kind of horrid conspiracy by yes, big farmer yes, titans to kind to of roll out the vaccines no, Thames, i've got to go riding so we're, we're just gonna okay. have to do, do a um a very quick culture corner so let's have another ad i really like the sound of this book the jasmine sari is a terrorism thriller by Philip Tucker. Listen to these reviews. A real humdinger of a thriller. I can't recommend it highly enough. Timely topical with the current state of the world we live in. Comprehensively and movingly inverts the whole sterile establishment frame debate on terrorism. The Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker is available on Amazon now. This is what people are saying about it proves that outstanding fiction can speak about the bigger truths more eloquently than can factual reporting. You can taste the dust and smell the air of Bangladesh. A stunning finale that left me virtually breathless, an entertaining and explosive race against time which kept my eyes glued to the pages. Great stuff. By The Jasmine Sari by Philip Tucker on Amazon. As one newspaper put it, this is a startlingly adroit, angry and astute political thriller. The Jasmine Sari gets it and you should get it too. Yes. Quickly, very quick, quickest ever culture corner. What have you been yes. watching? Um, well, I've, um, I watched um, I watched the um, first episode of season three of The Mandalorian, which yeah. is on Disney Plus. It's a Star Wars spin-off TV show and um, it's pretty poor. Um, the central that character, classic the man Tobes recommendation. I'm not recommending it. You just asked me what I watch, not what I'm recommending. Right, okay. And um, and the central character, um, the Mandalorian. He's this kind of samurai, kind of um, kind of lone gunslinger, Clint Eastwood, man with no name type character. And it's clearly inspired by you know westerns. He, yeah. he, he has a mask on which it's almost like kabuki. Um, so, you know, it, 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 there's not much acting involved. He just kind of lumbers around with this kind of mask, completely con- helmet, completely concealing his face. It's like watching a kind of drama in which all the characters are wearing motorcycle helmets with the visors down. Um, but the reason I watched it is because my 14-year-old son is a fan of The Mandalorian. He's a big Star Wars freak and um he, he he wants to watch the rest of the series with me so he said look dad i've watched episode one watch episode one we can watch the rest of it together and i think that's probably the last time james a child of mine will want to watch something on television with me i don't get that from the 15 year old the 17 year old certainly not from the 19 year old so i think i well i have to take this opportunity this is my last opportunity to watch something with one of my children so i'm gonna endure the rest of season three of the mandalorian yeah, you have to grab those moments while you can. And there's absolutely, there's almost nothing that my children will watch with me now. <laughs> I mean, especially if it's got sex in it. When I agree with them, I, I, I hate anything with sex in it. That's really embarrassing. Um, I'm increasingly averse to any form of extreme violence. The only thing that we can agree on watching is um, that 
Formula One Drive to Survive series, which is I which is weird because I think that Formula One is about the most boring sport in the world. I I do I went I once went to a I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I got flown in a helicopter to Silverstone and sat in, you know, the posh enclosure where you you drink champagne and you eat lobster. But the problem is you're eating lobster and drinking champagne to the sound of there's no escape. And there are people in hats everywhere with peaked hats who love this kind of stuff. And they and they, they don't mind the sort of 20 hour traffic jams to get in and out and stuff. And they think it's great. And they, they call themselves petrol heads. It's really, really, really boring. It's going, you know, but F1 drive to survive makes it interesting because you care about the people behind the wheel and the, and the people in the, in the teams and stuff. So that's my. Okay. Drive to survive. Yeah. My 14 year old also watches that and is also encouraging me to watch that so we can watch it together. So I may watch that James. I also watched episode one of a new series on Disney plus called Fleischman is in trouble which I'm going to give a, I'll cautiously recommend. So it's about this um, Jewish doctor in his early 40s who's just been divorced by his wife. He has two young children. He's had to move out of their fabulous penthouse Upper East Side apartment into a shoebox apartment. And he's initially extremely depressed about the turn his life has taken. And then he discovers dating apps. And, you know, as a as a college student, he never got a second glance from an attractive woman. He's never thought of himself as in any way sexually desirable. But now he's a divorced um, 40 something senior medic living on the Upper East Side. He suddenly got a cornucopia of sexual opportunities before him um, via these dating apps with, you know, mostly divorced women, either his age or older. And on the subject of flesh creepingly embarrassing sex oh my god um this is kind of woke sex on telly james it's not sex with kind of supermodels attractive kind of girls you know aged sort of 30 and under it's sex with much older women with different body shapes it's sort of you're you're sort of it's you're encouraged to watch it to become more body positive and to broaden your mind about what constitutes an attractive body um so there's an awful lot of unwatchable sex in um fleischman is in trouble so that part i don't like but but actually this the kind of satirical observations about kind of life on the upper east side in new york for the kind of well-off um, uh, it, it is very good, very accurate. He has this, the best thing in it, he has this absolutely um, ghastly 10-year-old daughter. So when he picks her up from school, she refuses to get on the bus because she doesn't want her, any of her friends to see her getting on the bus. She kind of screams at him to get an Uber to the kind of, you know, half-mile journey to their apartment. And when she's at a friend's house and they have to go back to his place with her friend, she's too embarrassed because his apartment is so small compared to her friend. She's kind of this status-obsessed, kind of socially ambitious 10-year-old monster. And she's by far the best thing in it. And I think I'm going to carry on watching it just because um, uh, it's it's kind of... The, the, you, you get My impression is, I don't know that world terribly well, but I had a little bit of exposure to it when I lived in New York, is that it's it's satirical skewering of Upper East Side, upper middle class Jewish New York life um, is very accurate. It's like Seinfeld, but the characters are about 10 years older and without the jokes. Right. OK. Um, 
yes, I'm not sure that I care what happens in New York anymore. I used to, I used to think New York was an interesting thing, but but by by the way, um, my kids used to do do that to me when when they were at their fancy <laughs> fancy boarding schools. I I used to have to park the car, like because I have I got a crappy beaten up car, and I used to have to park it like up the hill so that so that their their friends would not see what kind of crap car that, that dad drove <laughs> that's, like that, that's the terrible price you have to pay for sending your I know. Children to very posh yeah. um one one final recommendation um which is that the, the thing on netflix about the invention of spotify um is good yeah um, no I, I i when you mentioned this in our aborted podcast aborted called the playlist podcast. is it the playlist the playlist the playlist. Um, I looked it up, and it's got a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's um, everyone absolutely raves about it. It's a Swedish, right? Yeah, it's definitely not worth a hundred, but it's definitely good enough to watch. It, it it shows the invention of Spotify from different perspectives. So initially, right. of Daniel Ek, the the kind of train spotterish, uh, techie programmer type guy right. who thought up the idea, right. and 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 then the the lawyer who who worked out the business model and the and the head of Swedish Sony who was initially repelled by the idea that you should be giving music out free on the internet when they that wasn't their business model and you know exploitation of of of, of hard hard working rock stars and anyway it's a, it's a good story yeah no um i um i think probably one of the, one of the kind of most entertaining genres on um tv um is a, a mini series about um founders of these kind of um very successful companies um uh, often which often kind of then kind of went 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 kind of belly up so there was the um there was one about elizabeth holmes the founder of theranos i thought that was very good there was one yeah. about uber the creator of Uber. There was another one about the guy who set up WeWork. So this is this is, I think, a very, a very. It's a really good genre, and um, they're often very good. And I'm really looking forward now to watching the playlist. That sounds great. Well, it's probably it is probably part of the the programming to brainwash us into thinking that these these tech companies are are, are good and well. Well, no, because they often. But in the case of Theranos, I mean, <laughs> it, it completely discredited Elizabeth Holmes. It was all just a massive con. Um, yeah, and no, no. Well, uh, I, 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 ditto with WeWork. It all went completely belly up. Um, uh, lost huge billions of dollars uh, to the. Gulls. The, the, the yes, those are quite good, aren't they? Disaster, like fire up. What's it called? The, the, the D- fire disastrous. Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's disastrous a, thing. That, that's yeah, another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Right. I've got to go and get on a horse now. Um, okay. So thank you for redoing this. And you right, don't fall off, James. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right. Bye. 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 Uh, let me introduce again. Let me reintroduce our new sponsor, um, Sal Daher. Uh, Sal Daher. CFA, who listens to us in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Sal is Team Toby and backs the doughty FSU, though not the tragic QPR. Sal also enjoys the Delling Pod. Listeners, check out Sal's podcast, Angel Invest Boston. It's mostly on building technology startups, but it's not all about business. Sal also delves into other aspects of human flourishing, such as creativity, good relationships and healthy aging. Those of an entrepreneurial bent might profit from the podcasts with Professor Ed Roberts of MIT or with his doctoral student, Professor Chuck Easley of Stanford. Titled respectively Startup Prof and Stanford Startup Prof, they're loaded with advice, including the most robustly supported finding 
on the success of tech startups. Do follow Angel Invest Boston on your podcast app and leave a rating and a written review to help it get found. So that's Angel Invest Boston. Just search for that on your podcast app. You won't be disappointed. This is London Calling. Ricochet. Join the conversation.